so I began today um, bringing up the, the rise in this experience of loneliness among uh, Americans, among people across all kinds of demographics. It affects us in different ways, but I've got one graphic I want to show you about loneliness in the United States. It has the stats on there. Um, it says that 52%, this is just one study, I've seen up, upwards of 59% of Americans report, report feeling lonely. It's over half. So in this room, like, how did 2022 go for you? Or like, how has it been in the last month or two months? The over half of Americans have said, generally, I feel lonely, not the other way around. Over half. 47, less than half of Americans report their relationships with others are not meaningful. So it's a little bit on the other side of the halfway point, but still, mostly, almost half say, my relationships in my life are not meaningful. Like, I've got superficial McDonald's-level, like, relationships going on around me. If you work for McDonald's, I'm sorry. 57%, single or not, this is mind-blowing to me, mind-blowing to me. 57% of Americans, single or not, report eating all meals alone. All meals alone, single or not. And if we went deeper into the statistics, you'd see that if, you're, uh, if you make less money, if you're on the lower income side, you're working more, you, you have less uh, connection with people outside, there's less leisure, and so loneliness is up there. If you were to look at, at parents and especially young moms, you'd see loneliness is, is much higher in that demographic. If you were to look at uh, even age breakdowns, you'd see that uh, people from, and they, they're only polling adults here, but people from 18 to 25 are reporting the, like, double the amount of loneliness of people who are in their retirement years. And uh, what, what all the reasons or the causes for all these are, are, are so many to name, right? But the question what I want to answer today that I want to talk about is, does the Christian faith, does Jesus have anything to say about this really normal, common human experience of loneliness? And this was true, pre, this isn't just like, oh, it's the pandemic. No, this has been on the rise, and I, I mentioned this at the beginning, uh, doubled since the 80s. Like our experience in modern America today is marked profoundly by loneliness and disconnection. And maybe you've maybe you felt that. Maybe I know I've felt that at times. What does the Bible actually have to say about that, and does it make a difference? Uh, loneliness... Just to define it here, loneliness is not just being alone, right? Like all our introverts are like, yes, amen. There's like being alone is not necessarily mean that I'm lonely. Why are you always by yourself? That's okay. What is actually being described here with loneliness is a feeling of insignificant connection. So you can be around people and be lonely, standing alone in a crowded room kind of thing. Or you can have limited social interaction but have really significant relationships and not feel lonely because you feel like your social needs are being met and they're different for everybody. People can live um, a long time under loneliness and it becomes the norm and it's crippling. Loneliness, from a practical standpoint, if you're in business, if you're in education, if you're a parent or whatever, loneliness has a huge impact on work productivity. It has a huge impact on child development. On, on the health of homes, it, it is actually wreaking havoc on our society, people will tell you. From a, just a pure utilitarian standpoint, it's like 
billions and tens of billions of dollars are, are cost by people checking out because they're just super lonely at work. But what if there is a remedy? And the remedy is not just getting around people who like the same things as you. Like if you just join a Cowboys fan club, you'll be awesome. Like if you just join whatever the thing is that you really like, get around common shared interests, that's really gonna solve your loneliness. We've, we've come to find out through the studies and through personal experience, that doesn't solve it. It's not just about being around people who like what you like. But there's gotta be a deeper shared connection in those relationships for there to be alleviation of loneliness. I would argue that the Christian faith, Jesus Christ himself, has provided the remedy for loneliness. Not that, just as a, as a precursor, not that if you believe in Jesus, you'll never feel lonely. I'm not saying that. It's really important to get that across. We all will experience it at different times. But that if we engage in something called fellowship, biblical fellowship, it will address our loneliness in a way that nothing else can. That's the claim. Because God has sanctified us, set us apart to have fellowship with Christ, we can have fellowship with one another. Let me say that again. Because Christ has sanctified us and set us apart to have fellowship with Christ, we can have fellowship with one another. That's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, on your phone, a physical copy, whatever, pull that out. The, the second reading there from 1 Corinthians chapter one, we're gonna go into, and we're gonna um, talk about 1 Corinthians chapter one over the next three weeks, so chapter two and in the fourth week, and uh, follow the argument Paul makes. But today, we're actually even gonna just focus in on the greeting. Paul, Paul in the first two verses, just greets them with this awesome, uh, really rich greeting uh, of, of, he gives them identity. He talks about who God is. We're gonna look at all that together. So 1 Corinthians chapter one, it's like towards the back of your Bible. Chapter one, starting at verse one. We all there? So the first thing that we've gotta establish is what is fellowship? What is fellowship? So if fellowship is this remedy to loneliness, this, this feeling of isolation, this feeling of, of insignificant or unmet social needs, then, then we gotta know exactly what fellowship is so that we can go after it, right? And I, I love this about Paul uh, and his writings. He has a, a really specific example in his own life of how fellowship works. He's gonna start off. He says, Paul. Hi, I'm Paul. Instead of saying, dear Corinthians, he starts off, Paul. That's how they did it back then. You say who it's from to start. It's, I've always thought it was weird that when you write a letter, if, if you really read it without peeking, like if it's on the back, your name's at the top, there's a whole message, and you don't even know who it's from till the end. It's like a surprise. If you really wanted to, every Christmas card could be a total surprise. That's like a fun game, right? You can kind of guess who it's from. No, Paul's like, it's me. Right up front, no surprises. I'm Paul. They know Paul. He's been in their midst before. Uh, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Called by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. So this is who's writing the letter, Paul. And Paul himself has a crazy story. If you don't, if you don't know his story, I mean, it's, it's out of this world, right? He, he starts off as a, a Pharisee in training. 
And he is super zealous for the faith, and he is, a, he is an Orthodox Jew. He is Jewish, and he's pursuing the law to the nth degree, and he is out on a mission in the early parts of the story of the book of Acts to persecute and eradicate Christians. Get them out of here. Why? Because they're mostly, at the time, mostly Jews in and around Jerusalem who have sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ, not only as a prophet, but as the Son of God. And that is blasphemy to Paul's ears because God is one and there's no other God. There's no other God besides God. There's one God. But why are we worshiping Jesus Christ? This is where the doctrine of the Trinity starts to come into play. God is one God and the person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit, all one God. But at the time, I mean, this is like, Wild West days of Christianity, they're like, I don't know, Jesus, he got it from the dead and there's God and we're all filled with the spirit. Like, I, I can't explain it to you, but Jesus is more than just a prophet. And Paul's not hearing it. He's not having it. And he's out, he, he can't have fellowship with these Christians, can he? There's a fundamental difference about how the world works and, and who deserves our worship and how I ought to live my life based on that. Because these Christians are starting to like say, you don't really need to follow the law of Moses anymore. Everything about how they're eating, about how they're dressing, who they're talking to, they're allowed to associate with the Gentiles without becoming unclean. They don't have to go to the temple anymore and offer sacrifices. They're, they're upending every single aspect of life for the average Jew. So this isn't just like, oh, well, you like the color blue and I like the color red. No, this is fundamental differences that, that break their ability to be in relationship with one another. You see that? It's changing everything. So this is a, a less serious example. When I first moved to Texas, um, you know, we're from Ohio. My wife and I, are, we're Ohio State fans. My wife graduated from there. I did not, which is a long story. But um, she, uh, she got her, her bachelor's and her master's of education there, and we came down. And our second year here, Ohio State had a, a kind of a miracle run at the end of the season to go to the national football uh, to the national um, championship in the college football playoffs, okay? This was like, really exciting for us. We didn't really want to believe because they're going to play Alabama, right, in the semifinal, and Bama's this juggernaut, and they won. Ezekiel Elliott went for 240 yards on the ground. Uh, uh, um, Cardell Jones played his second game ever and just tore him up, like, crushed it. And we're like, oh my gosh, can we believe? Do, dare we believe? Oregon's coming. Are they going to surprise us? So we had friends over to watch Ohio State play Oregon. And let me tell you, that was the most unenjoyable Ohio State game I've ever watched. Not because, I mean, Ohio State won. At the end, we were like, you know, yes, national champions. But throughout the game, this dude graduated from TCU. This girl, she graduated from A&M. There's Baylor nursing students here. They don't care about Ohio State. And they're like, Ohio State does something silly, gets a penalty, and they're laughing. <laughs> You're not in this game. At least pretend that you're on my side here. It's not funny. I care about this. Right? So that's silly, although we can get really wrapped up in football. I told uh, Cindy Matthews, who's a, a very uh, uh, passionate Alabama fan. It was a good thing we didn't know each other when Bama and, and Ohio State played. But so you, you've got this example. It's like we, it's really hard to be in this, even on the same, in the same room with these people who aren't feeling the way I'm feeling about Ohio State and you don't want them to win. And we have the same goal in mind, the same values, like our emotions are going to follow those things. Fellowship requires this fundamental commonality. And when things are broken down, how can we have fellowship? 
See, fellowship is not just shared interests, but it's, it's a deeper connection around uh, life values that affect everything about us. It comes down to identity. And can we identify with the people we're in fellowship with? That's the turn. It's no longer, hey, we're just in the same group, set, circle together, but whoa, like, hey, that's not, you know. I just, I just played chess with the guy. He's kind of crazy, but like, no. There's actually an identification with the person at a fundamental level to say we're together at the same table and not going anywhere. That's fellowship. So all of this to say, Paul, if we just switch over to Galatians, the book of Galatians, you don't have to go there, I'll read it to you. Chapter 2. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, uh, I'm blind. Because you get blinded on the road. He says, you're now going to be my messenger for the gospel. Total 180. This zealous Jewish Pharisee who believes the Old Testament, believes God, uh, is looking for the Messiah. He is met by the risen Lord Jesus and his world is turned upside down. Well, then he comes into Damascus and there's a man there who's supposed to take care of him. And the man says, God, I, this guy's throwing Christians in jail. I can't, I can't be in the same house as him. He said, trust me, he's gonna be my messenger. So he baptizes him. Baptism, new identity. Paul then goes out in the wilderness for three years and, and tries to make sense of what just happened. He's trying to completely rearrange arrange the mental furniture around who God is based on the fact that he just saw the glorified, risen Jesus Christ. Well, then he comes back to Jerusalem after some years in ministry, and the Jews, Peter, James, the leaders in Jerusalem are going, this Paul dude, he was persecuting us, but now he's, can we? Is he actually on the same team as us? Can we actually be on the same, at the same table and associate with one another now? And Paul says, yes, this is for real. And he comes, and when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars in the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Later in that story, Peter then, when he's eating with his Jewish friends and Gentiles show up, or excuse me, he's eating with his Gentile friends and then Jewish friends show up, he disassociates from the Gentiles because he doesn't want his Jewish friends to think that he's, he's doing something he's not supposed to. And then Paul, in a great turn of irony, corrects him and says, don't you know the gospel just tore down that wall? Don't you know that gospel, that the gospel tore down this dividing wall of hostility that says just because they are ethnically of a different background that we can't relate? All those who are far off, all those who are near, Jew and Gentile, slave, free, male, female, no matter what the barrier is socially or in the world's standards, the gospel of Jesus Christ has made us all even at the foot of the cross. We now have the ability to enter into fellowship with one another. So Peter and Paul start championing this message that God, without distinction, offers all people a seat at the table. And I can now, I, not, just, not just kind of like or talk to, but identify with people who are fundamentally different from me because we have a commonality in Jesus Christ. You see that? 
that commonality in Jesus Christ is greater than whatever our other differences were. That commonality in Jesus Christ goes deeper. How does it go deeper? What is fellowship? If we go to verse 2, we're not going to do all nine verses, trust me. Chapter 1, verse 2, he's writing to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So we've got two things that are working here. We have, um, we're going to talk about the sanctification, and then we're going to talk about the local and the global reality of what's going on. First, he's writing to those who have been sanctified in Christ. So how is it that we can have this fellowship with one another? It has to first start with a fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you personally have fellowship with Jesus Christ, and I have fellowship with Jesus Christ, that is the foundation upon which we can now have fellowship with one another. That fellowship is not changing or shaking, and so we have a common foundation that we can, that we can share. What does it mean that we're sanctified? The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us of all our sin. He's the lamb who was slain. He's the Passover lamb who was to come. God passes over us. What does this mean? It means that you and me and you and you and you all needed help. You're not better than me and I'm not better than you. We are all dead in sin before God. There's a common standing, isn't there? That's not what's been taught in every religion or every culture of the world. That's a pretty radical claim. That no matter where you are, how blessed your life looks, how bad your life looks, you're actually all from a position of holiness Sinners before a righteous God. Christ cleans that. And then, by faith, we're all granted holiness, sanctification. We're all then set apart by God. So we now have the same status in Christ. So where before we all had the same status of unrighteous and sinful, in Christ we now all have the same status of righteous and holy and accepted before God. So there's not levels of acceptance to God. You and me, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we're following him as Lord, we all have equal access to God the Father. That means we are brothers and sisters with with an equal standing before God. There isn't tiers. There's not an A membership or like onyx, silver, gold. Like there's, there's none of that. You don't have to pay extra. Not extra things you have to do to make it work. No, through faith in Jesus Christ, boom, we're all at the same place before God, brothers and sisters accepted at the table even in the midst of our flaws. So our sanctification sets us apart for fellowship with Jesus Christ and is then this common ground upon which we can have fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And that binds us together no matter what. Second, this is a local and a global reality. He's writing to the church at Corinth as well as, he says, to anyone who calls in the name of the Lord, from anywhere. But there's no distinction. Who's led into this? Who's led into this relationship? The second thing here, or the third thing here, is that um, this fellowship doesn't require perfect relationship. Does anyone have any perfect relationships in their home? Just real quick. Any, any arguments that have happened with the spouses or kids recently, or maybe friends like you haven't talked to in a little while? Yeah, it's, it's in, the midst of, in the midst of those things. Fellowship doesn't go away. 
the fellowship remains. See, this letter that we're, we're talking about, that he's starting, he starts it out about fellowship. Why? Because there's division in the church of Corinth. He's about to go into how there's factions about which person they're following. And they're, when they're coming forward for the Lord's Supper, they're not even sitting together. And the rich people are eating and the poor are not getting any food. And there's this division in the church. They're not acting like they're actually in, in fellowship with one another, like they're family. Nobody's saying, no, this is true of you. You are sanctified to be in fellowship with one another. Therefore, walk in fellowship. Now, what does this fellowship have to do with loneliness? How does it answer loneliness? We just talked about how quality of relationship and the loneliness that we feel are really related. Superficial relationships based on shared interests that are really flexible are going to go away. Maybe one year I'm really into, like I got super into baking bread at one point, right? I still like baking bread, but I was like sour. This was before sourdough pandemic thing happened, right? Everyone was like starting their starter and got their little thing. I was like, I want to make like rustic, old, awesome, crusty bread, right? My wife got me this book. I got into it. And like, what if I had gotten into like a, a, a baking club? Awesome. Well, my personality, after about a year and a half of doing this and baking really good bread, I, I stopped baking. I'd be a really bad member of the baking club. David, you're going to present your bread next? Ah, I don't really feel like it. Well, I mean, those relationships are gone. There's nothing else there propping them up. Like, those relationships are gone, aren't they? Aren't they? Or if it's, you know, I see these guys every time I gamble, every time I go to play poker, they're my poker buddies. You know, that can develop into something. Shared interest can be a... a a foundation upon which deeper relationship can develop, don't get me wrong, 100%. But if that's all it ever is, I mean, it's just high school again. It's just high school all over again. We're like, hey, we were in choir together, and then I never talked to him again. And a lot of us live our lives throughout our adult lives as if we're still emotionally and socially in clubs in high school. We were created for something deeper. We were created for something far deeper. We were created for a common interest that is eternal and soul deep and unshakable. Our sanctification and fellowship with Christ is unshakable, held by God, and that common interest will sustain relationships and fellowship through difficulty. So you, you, you've got problems with your friends, like going through conflict, there's disagreement. Hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We can work through that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm at, I'm at the table. This deep commonality in Jesus Christ provides a connection that is stable enough to provide real relationship that then does damage to loneliness. Great, awesome. Fellowship helps treat loneliness. It helps me with my loneliness. I really want this fellowship. How do I go about that? How, how, how do I actually find fellowship? Well, our, our three main values that we articulate here at Resurrection are to be rooted, to be restful, and to be relational. We just talked about the relational part. The relational part is this deep commitment and fellowship with one another at the table where we're not going anywhere. But do you know you, you really need to be rooted in a place to have those relationships. If you move every six months or your, your interests change or your church hopping around here just to see who's like the funniest preacher or who has the greatest music or whatever, you, you can't 
commit and go deep and be rooted with a group of people. There needs to be a rootedness and a stability to life that is totally counter to the way our culture lives. We're untied to our land. We're untied to, to uh, networks of relationships. We're just, we, we just kind of go about in the world and pick and choose what we want to take out of the commodities that are, applied, that are offered to us. No, no, no. Rather than being a, a consumer of relational commodities and, and social engagement, what if I was a member identifying with a network of relationships and people called the church? What if I was all in? That date on the calendar is in marker, not pencil. When we fight, I'm, I'm working through it. When we have a disagreement, I'm not going anywhere. I don't have to be right every time. I don't have to be most important. We gotta be rooted and committed to a specific people. But then we also need to be restful. There's this uh, law in the Old Testament that God gave to Israel that they were not supposed to reap to the edges of their fields. They were supposed to leave the corners. Um, and it was so that the poor could come and glean when they needed food. And there's this um, Sabbath rest that's built into the uh, uh, rhythm of Israel that every, every uh, seventh day they were not supposed to work, right? And then every uh, seventh year they let the, the field lay fallow. And then every 50th year there's this, there's this uh, um, uh, release of debts, right? They're, they're not, what are they doing? God is, is telling them, your time is not meant to be maximized for productive value. I didn't create you to just produce and gain as much as you could from every minute of your life, anxious whether, whether it's going to be enough. That, that's a subhuman way to live life. It, it brings on anxiety. It brings on pr a pressure that we're putting on ourselves to, to try and be extra productive. Every minute accounted for, I heard something that Steve Jobs, he scheduled his day in 15-minute increments or something. Like, I, I just, I don't know that that's gonna work for us, guys. And what if we left margin? What if we didn't fill up every minute on the schedule? What if we didn't fill up every night? What if we didn't subscribe to every thing and every activity and we left room to actually be in relationship? This vision of being restful and of leaving margin and saying, I don't have to produce to be valuable. I don't have to, to achieve to be valuable. What if, what if that was what we did? And then we left room to really just be in relationship with one another. It takes time and it takes like incubation, fermentation for relationships to develop that connection that they need. It takes years. Without the time, it's not going to happen. So you have to be rooted and committed to a place. You have to be restful and provide margin for there then to be these meaningful relationships that will deal with and do damage to the loneliness that affects all of us. And I love how, to end, Paul says in verse nine, God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. God is love. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When all other human relationships fail at the end of the day, you have been granted eternal fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that foundation is unshakable. I pray that you would lean into fellowship with the son and that you would then, out of the overflow of that, commit, create margin, and be in relationship 
in community and fellowship with one another in the church to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I pray that you would apply your words to our hearts. Open our, um, open our minds to see where we can create margin. What have we given ourselves to that's just not necessary? How can we love our neighbors and love one another and, and be in fellowship? Help us to see those things and to talk with one another about it and to be accountable to one another, to, to go about those specific changes so that we can seek fellowship. Help us, Lord God, be with us as we come to your table. In Christ's name, amen.